two days. Temperature at the observatory currently 28 degrees Celsius, some 89% relative humidity. And just be advised, the thunderstorm warning will remain effective until at least 9.30 this morning. And that was the 9 o'clock news and weather from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Paul Zimmerman. On today's program, we're talking about sharenting, when parents share news and images of their children on social media. Proud parents are typically quite eager to share their children's successes and milestones to friends and family. But experts say they should really think twice before pressing the post button. The office of the Privacy Commissioner published a pamphlet earlier this month to provide tips for parents before they publish any posts about their children online. It says it's important to respect children's privacy and wishes for before parents share anything about them on social media. France has gone further to ban parents from sharing children's photos on social media. So what's considered too much when it comes to sharing photos and videos of your children? How harmful is it? How should we strike a good balance? After 9.45, we'll find out more about a new exhibition on Sung Ching Ling, the mother of modern China. And so uh, let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Admiralty studio Azan Mawa, chairperson of the Hong Kong Committee of Children's Rights. And joining us on the line is Florence Serban, lecturer from the Baptist University's Department of Communication Studies, and Joyce Liu, legal Council of the Privacy Commissioner for Personal Data's Office. Good morning to all of you and thanks for joining us on the program. Um, let's start with you, Dr. Serban. Um, how popular is sharing in general right now? Good morning. I think it became very popular and it has uh, uh, gone up uh, with the expansion of social uh, uh, media platforms. I think social media platforms are today part of our everyday life, right? So mm-hmm. we cannot really live in a world where we opt out and we uh, uh, do not share. One of the biggest concerns, and if you want at a, at a more uh, philosophical uh, level, is that sharing will expose the children to a larger digital world. And basically, parents do that without asking for, uh, for the consent of the children, right? So uh, children don't have the agency to opt out to say, hey, you know what, I don't want to grow up and then uh, look back and find myself on a social media platform. So it is an ubiquitous um, uh, uh, practice. And unfortunately, we do not give enough agency to the children to uh, say they don't want to be part. Uh, but, how, but how do we do that when my child is two years old or it's a baby and it's, uh, you know, my naked butts were in my, my family photo album, but of course nobody saw it except for the family. And that's a key point, right? Because if we go back into the past, our uh, family photos are quite sacred, right? We are always storing them in an album and uh, they are kept private, right? I went back home during the summer and uh, the family photos are are something that we go back and we look in a ceremonious way if you want. Whereas nowadays, when we are sharing photos of our children online, we just do it and then the next day we forget about it, right? So we are just piling up, we are adding to, uh, to this problem. I don't have a clear answer how should we proceed when we have a kid uh, uh, who is only two years old and we are sharing photos of them. But uh, maybe the question is on us 
should we share them in the first place? What do we gain from doing this, uh, this kind of activities? All right, let, let's go to Ms. Liu. Good morning. Good morning, Janice. Thanks a lot for having me today. Thanks for joining us this morning. Now, the, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner for Personal Data has uh, just published a pamphlet to uh, provide tips for parents before they post anything about their children online. Um, why now? Well, you know, we are now living in the social media era with more parents sharing photos and updates about their children's daily lives on social media. So why we published it last month? Because, well, this is doing some vacation and after reopening of borders, Parents have been taking their children on overseas trips and they have been uploading photos and videos to record every moment of their trips. So the Office of the Privacy Commissioner for Personal Data, we, we published a pamphlet on sharing do's and don'ts to provide some practical and easy to understand tips for parents about posting children's daily lives on social media platforms. So we hope that our pamphlet will provide some guidance to parents on how to balance joyful moments with their children while protecting the children's privacy and digital footprint. So we are not asking the parents not to post any photos or any videos at all. We are simply asking them to share with caution. We do feel that we need to take a balanced approach and see how to draw the line between um, uh, how to draw a line to prevent oversharing or putting their child's personal life at risk. All right, let, let's go to uh, Mr. Marwan. Good morning. Good morning. So, so what's your view on, on all of this uh, sharing? Um, I mean, is, is it about balance? Um, and and w what's your view? Well, uh, I quite agree with what's been said so far, and I must say I go a bit further and quite heartily agree with the Privacy Commission for coming forward with the very helpful handout that they did. Uh, I would say that uh, this isn't the end of the story. It's quite right to be, say parents, they have to balance the interests and rights of children, they have to consider about their children's welfare. But what I think is missing from this discussion is the role of government and so private companies, social media companies, in protecting children's rights. And you know, the, the simple truth is when you put, post something on Facebook, you're giving Facebook some rights over that photograph. And when you post a photograph of your child, you're basically giving up something that belongs to your child to that company. And what I would like to see the Privacy Commission do and the government do is consider, well, what role should the uh, platforms play in protecting children's rights? But that's and a general issue, isn't it, Azan? I mean, that's not, not a, a, a children photo image issue. Well, it's a specifically a children issue and specifically a children photo and data issue. Um, one wonders if the default shouldn't be that some kind of data isn't isn't shared at all um, or is only shared amongst a limited uh, group of people. Because I think the reality, I quite agree with Dr. Serpin, there's, the reality is people will share their family news. They will share their children's mm -hmm. news with their networks. The problem is that uh, the Internet doesn't forget, one. And two, the, the Internet is not limited to your family and friends. It can, it can be the whole of the community. All right. Ms. Liu, what do you think? I mean, is there a need for more action and uh, what sort of role should the government play? Well, I, I know that some uh, overseas, like like what, what you just said, France, they have been taking a very proactive step in in preventing parents oversharing of the children's photos or daily lives online. Uh, I think so far in Hong Kong, we do observe that it has become a phenomenon, as we observe that some parents would open social media accounts and set up fans pages for the children on social media platforms, and even though some influencers, well, they have a lot of followers, right, and they will post daily lives about the children 
children so that they can attract business opportunities. Yes, this has become a phenomenon. Well, but in terms of regulation, um, we do think that the current um, privacy data, uh, pri- personal data privacy ordinance, um, uh, we, we have we do have some protection uh, in this regard, and like. Uh, we, although under the personal data privacy ordinance, uh, the relevant consent of the child for the use of their personal data can be given by their parents or guardians. We do hope that our parents should exercise caution and have reasonable grounds to believe that the use of their children's personal data is clearly in the interest of the minor. So, uh, putting aside regulation, I think the, the, the core, the core thing is that we should let parents and know that this is something that they should have first in mind, whether they need to protect their, their children's privacy when they grow up. And even though you have regulation in place, um, uh, this may not be, uh, we may not have to, uh, uh, we have to clear all these things uh, from the outset. So this is about education and something that we should do more about. Right. Are, are we aware of any abusive cases in, in, in Hong Kong at the moment? Are you aware? Are you dealing with any? Well, we received some complaints, indeed. Well, from, from family um, we, members or from the children or who were posted on? or. Well, we have some cases. Uh, we, we have some complaints from both parents and from, from some... Um, well, well, I can call it an example. We, we have a complaint about a tuition center that published a student's photos and they, the tuition center showcases students' awards on the center's web page without the parents' consent. So uh, we, we received the complaint and then we requested the tuition centre to remove all these photos without the consent of the parents. Right. Well, what about the other complaints? What is that about? I mean, is this well, a concern also- parents or caregivers? Yeah, we, we got one. We got one complaint about parents uh, posting the academic transcript of. Of, of his child alongside other children in the class. So this is quite shocking. And, and, and after we got the complaint from the other parents of the child, uh, from the other parents, we asked the parents to remove all these academic transcript photos on the internet. All right. And Ms. Liu, I, I know you need to rush off very soon. Before you do that, can you very quickly remind parents or caregivers what they should watch out for before they post anything online about their, their kids? Uh, sure. I think they can easily read out chanting do's and don'ts. Well, I will give you some examples of do's and don'ts. Uh, for example, for the do's part, um, I think they should look, take a second look of their social media posts before publishing to make sure it does not review any personal details of their children, like where they live and which school they go to. And then the more importantly, um, the parents should always uh, ask the children's consent before posting the photos to show respect so that they won't feel too upset about the posts. And um, another point is about the social media privacy settings, right? So um, some parents, they only intend the photos or videos to be viewed by their family and friends, and they should not have made it public and leave the digital footprint. So for the don'ts part, um, I would advise that parents don't live for the likes. Well, uh, a lot of parents like sharing photos of funny incidents with friends online, and this attracts likes on social media. But it is important to bear in mind the privacy rights of their children. So I would advise a parent to think twice before they share their children's personal data online. But, but, right. then, but then just for people that make money out of it by having clicks yeah. and likes, I mean, uh, that's the, the category that seems to be um, of, of, of foremost interest, isn't it, to you? Uh, what are you going to do there? People that basically well, make money out of uh, posting their kids' uh, pictures. 
Well, yeah, but that, that's the that, that's not what we can control, right? So this is you cannot. I mean, but I thought legal there would be some legal opportunities there. Well, for the light photos, they they they. Oh, I don't know. Maybe sometimes that that they have the children's consent, like at at their age, they they might not be able to give a very informed consent. But this is maybe something that the children enjoy at the moment, or they enjoy mm. these opportunities. So so we are not commenting on this. <laughs> at this stage without any case at all. All right, so Ms. Okay. Liu, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Joyce Liu, Legal Counsel of the Privacy Commissioner for Personal Data's Office. Um, now, let's go back to uh, you, Dr. Serban. Um, we, we, I mean, earlier, I mean, uh, some of our guests, we, they talked about uh, the role of the government. Uh, what do you think? I mean, does the government have a role in this uh, or or uh, is the digital world supposed to be uh, free for, for people to, to make their own comments and post whatever they want? And that's uh, that's a very good point, right? I think uh, sort of regulation is always welcome, but uh, as in any case, when it comes to over-regulating things, I think there needs to be a clear balance between the interests of the government and the everyday uh, freedoms and the uh, rights of the people, right? So uh, I think there should be a sort of regulation. And, you know, if we go back to uh, uh, traditional media, we always had regulations in terms of what we can say uh, uh, on the radio, on the, on the television, right? So I think we should have some guidelines when it comes to uh, uh, what we can do online. But again, the backbone that I really believe in is that uh, you know, we cannot really uh, take uh, the right of the people to share their uh, free, uh, uh, free expression. Uh, I think we are getting to that point, and I think w- what you have discussed earlier about people who make money of them, uh, let's be honest, there are families, there are people out there who are turning their children into content. And if the regulation is that uh, you know minors should not be able to work to get a job, then uh, uh, where are we uh, when these young people are making money online, right? They are content creators. Is that a job or not? It depends on how uh, we get to see this kind of thing. Uh, Asan, what do you think about this? I show you. I mean, people haven't been able to see. I see you on the screen here. Uh, <laughs> you see me shaking in another head. studio. <laughs> so I see you shaking your head. Uh, you know, things can be done, isn't it? I mean, there is, we have to protect the children from these from when it goes into a, an abusive situation where parents basically try to make money out of it. And yeah. um, to, to what a sense can well, we do this? And 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 can we actually uh, we, uh, get laws around this? What, what you guys are describing is called exploitation. Yes. Um, when it when it has a sexual character, it's called sexploit, sexual exploitation of children. Mm. And we do have some specific laws that deal with that. I mean, the unfortunate reality is, or maybe not the unfortunate, the reality is that the Privacy Commission is not responsible for all of that. Mm-hmm. They, they, don't, they don't take responsibility for exploitation. I totally understand uh, Ms. Liu shying away from dealing with that and saying there are some laws and, and, and they have things that they can do. But the reality is what you are talking about is the next level of digital protection, which is how do we prevent children from being exploited and where their, uh, their talents, their abilities, their image has been exploited. How do we make sure that children retain the ben- that that's for the ch- child's benefit? and not removed from the child. Mm-hmm. But as a lawyer, have, you've looked around the world, I'm sure, to, to give that some consideration in yeah. terms of what has been done elsewhere. Well, in some countries, there are explicit, well, in, even in Hong Kong, there are explicit laws against child labor. In some countries, these are enforced in respect of entertainment and use of image. Um, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head any perfect jurisdiction, but I can tell you that we have almost nothing dealing with that, with the exception of sexual exploitation of children. Mm-hmm. Um, at, I mean, there's a broader problem. Just before the show started, you heard um, my predecessor, uh, Priscilla Liu, 
on the um, on the news wrap talking about the upsur- upsurge in uh, child abuse there is a broader story of there not really being a uh, purpose built or an updated child protection system in Hong Kong and frankly there needs to be a review of that including whether or not digital exploitation of children's images and their uh, and their work really ought to be considered and protected okay that's a good action point all right yeah. I, i have a i have a email here from a listener bowen and uh, bowen says um, asking for the children's consent and showing respect for their wishes sounds unproblematic but parents who are presumably more experienced must always use their best judgment even if their children cannot express themselves clearly or they seem not to mind because they have not thought about the matter carefully those who are keen to show off or fish for likes should be reminded that the children's best interests have to come first that is indeed what the law requires when their upbringing and custody come before the courts and then bowen goes on to say parents need to exercise their discretion just as sensibly always and uh, that's uh, an email from our listener bowen um so so when it comes to sharing i mean is a regulation really important or should we is the responsibility down to the parents really it's the quality of parenting is it norms no, but the re- the reality is what you're talking about can amount to abuse and you if you can look around the world uh, there are some famous ex- incidents in the US where children are pushed in you know the the famous example of um those children who are involved in ch- child beauty pageants who have cosmetic surgery who uh, whose face and image and they're they're forced into circumstances which amount to a kind of psychological abuse this does happen it is a reality i think you can say in hong kong we ha- we haven't had such uh, extreme examples in, in the public limelight but there is an e- there is an everyday nature to um, taking children's image putting them in front of a camera that does have a psychological impact on children regardless of whether or not it's the parent doing it um, the the psychological effect of social media on children is significant Oh, but to what extent is that bad? I mean, uh, social media is going to be with us for the rest of our lives. Uh, getting used and learn about it, what's good and bad, as kids being involved in it early is a, is a way of learning, isn't it? Isn't it there that we have to grow up as well um, with, uh, with what social media is all about? Uh, us being people like yourself and myself that are slightly older. Well, in a way, I agree with you. Children ought to be empowered. They ought to be taught. They ought to, they ought to be given the resources to actually do what you're talking about. But you don't just take a child and throw the child in the swimming pool and say, "Learn." Um, you, you actually, you, know, you take them slowly into it. You teach them how to do it. And the reality is, we're also living in a society where the adults, as you said, like you and I, we may not. Well, I certainly don't know how to use social media properly. That's what my wife keeps telling me. <laughs> so she, she's your guardian uh, of right. what you do, should and shouldn't do. Let, let's go back to uh, you, uh, Dr. Surban. Um, you, you've talked about uh, the, the sharing trend at the beginning of the show, but what's um, how harmful do you think it, it can be? I mean, when when we talk about sharing, how harmful can sharing be for? Uh, children's digital identity, for example? I think for the time being, we can uh, assess how harmful it is now, right? We have a repository, we have a database of all the photos we have uploaded, but I would also like to think a bit about the future, right? With uh, the rise of uh, uh, AI generative tools, we have a major problem, right? Because a lot of the databases that we have for a lot of software that is out there, right? We, We can just have a prompt nowadays and uh, a software can create a photo from scratch. Those softwares are using databases with 
us, right, with children, with adults, and so on. So by uploading photos every day for a period of, of, I don't know, 10, 14 years of a child, we are basically training data sets. We are giving this information away, uh, and we don't know how it will be used, right? Because it's not only about having a photo, uploading it on social media, and that's about it, right? If you ask people around, no one will, not many people uh, will think what happens with that photo afterwards. Who owns the photo? Do we own the photo, or is the social uh, media network uh, uh, in, in uh, uh, charge of the photo once we upload it, right? The social media platforms, most of them at least, can share our photos with third parties. And these third parties can use our photos for whatever purposes. We don't even get to see that. So one of my concerns is not only what we have done so far. I think the future, and I don't want to be alarmist or I don't want to, uh, to be on a panic mode here, but uh, the reality is that we don't know what happens with the photo once we upload it there. Okay. And that might be very harmful for our uh, children in the future. Think about it. When, when they go to, have a, to get a job or whatever, uh, uh, there will be someone there looking at their entire history and looking at, uh, you know, when they were ill, how sick they were, uh, whether they are sick four or five times a year and so on. That's really harmful, and we need to think twice. I think the privacy commissioner has a good recommendation. One of the don'ts is do not live for the life. That's easier said than done, right? Because living for the life, uploading photos, being out there to say something about our children all the time, it became a social currency. If you're not part of this game, if you are uh, opting out, basically you don't exist. And people don't want to be there, right? They want to share. They want to be active. But the consequences, what happens afterwards, that's not something that we spend a lot of time thinking of. Mm -hmm. But the issue is how do you protect children? I mean, the, uh, the, the general issue is, uh, that mentioned is the social media companies. How do we control their behavior over, the, over our content, over what we have posted? I, I, I bet that is, uh, you know, Azan, that, that must be a general issue that has been looked at in, in many jurisdictions. Well, it, it has, and in some jurisdictions, but I'm thinking particularly of Europe, they, they go a bit further and say, well, let's deal with these problems one by one. Let's have the right to be forgotten. Let's let's say that you can't have property in certain kinds of images, and and I would say specifically when it comes to children's images, one one thing that could be changed in the law, you could simply say social media companies, they have a license. It's a limited license. It only lasts so much time. They can only do certain things with it. They do not own images of children, or they're required to. Uh, well, I, I can tell you, uh, I'm involved in some associations where we have uh, children playing sports together uh, together with us. We block out their images when we when we use their images on, uh, on on social media because we recognize it's their choice. And even if they've given their consent, they may not they not, may not really be uh, understanding what that means for the rest of their lives. But are we going to take uh, more control over the social media companies? Uh, are other countries doing that in, in regards of yeah. uh, content that people have posted? Well, I mean, uh, in, in Hong Kong, the government has declared their willingness to to stand up to social media companies in the context of national security. This is something we can do. Um, and, and if we're going to do it for that purpose, we ought to also do it for the purpose of protecting children. Mm -hmm. I so, don't wish to touch on another hot button issue. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, just, you just brought another hot button issue yeah. here. But I, th I think it, but so far what, what I hear is it's, it's about educating parents. But where do you draw the line? When is a kid um, an adult when it comes to social media? Well, in, in fact, the uh, UN uh, Committee on the Rights of the Child, they don't speak about uh, consent to the use of children's images starting with parents. They start with children. They say, 
has the child consented? Is the child mature enough to consent? And then uh, should, uh, has the parent consented? Because the parent is really there to protect the child. The children are not, not there for the benefit of children. It's the other way around. And, and so if you're talking about consent, well, let's, let's ask the child first. But then the second question will be, is this in the child's best interest? And normally, parents should be equipped to answer that question. Yeah, but in the, in the uh, traditional world, uh, the parents sign for the children. So, I mean, up to the age of, what, 18, uh, when they're considered an adult, before uh, you stop signing for them. So uh, you know, how about the digital world? Are we going to have a vague deadline? Are we going to have a, a hard deadline? Yeah, well, yeah, I think the deadline ought to be brought a little bit closer. It ought, it ought not to be that parents make all the decisions for you until you're 18. In, in, in Hong Kong law, we have this concept called Gillick competence, so the idea of evolving, it, uh, evolving autonomy, evolving maturity to make decisions for yourself. Okay. All right, uh, Mr. Morwan, uh, let's uh, take a quick, quick uh, break for the news and uh, continue our discussion afterwards in around uh, two minutes' time when we will also be joined by Dr. Adrian Lowe, a chartered psychologist and president of the Hong Kong Association of Psychology. Now, if you want to ask our guests questions or share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rchk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, here's a quick look at the weather, mainly cloudy with a few showers and thunderstorms. Sunny intervals later with highs of around 31 degrees. Right now it's 28 degrees and the relative humidity 88%. It's now 9.30 with a new summary. Here's Stu Pryke. Russia's aviation authorities say the head of the Wagner paramilitary group, Yevgeny Pedagogin, was on a plane that crashed northwest of Moscow, with all passengers believed killed. It said the information had come from the plane's operator. The deaths, however, have not been confirmed by the Kremlin. Hong Kong's ban on aquatic products from parts of Japan has taken effect. The move is in response to Japan's plan to discharge wastewater from the crippled Fukushima power plant. And Donald Trump's former lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, has handed himself in at a county jail in Georgia, where he's been booked on charges of trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election result. Along with the former president, he faces the most indictments of the 19 defendants. And that's the brief news from RTHK. The government has launched HK eToll. With a vehicle tag, there is no need to stop to pay tunnel tolls. Tolls will be deducted from your account automatically. Starting from 5 a.m. on August 27th, HK eToll is implemented at the Eastern Harbour Crossing. When using toll tunnels that don't have HK eToll yet, please continue to use the existing payment methods. Visit hketoll.gov.hk for more. Drive smart with HK eToll. Let's spend the consumption vouchers together. For Octopus users, just tap your cards. For other stored value facilities users, use the mobile apps. E-payment is convenient and easy. Spend the vouchers at local stores and online platforms. Remember to check the deadline and balance and use it up. Happy spending. Let's boost our economy. Visit the Consumption Voucher Scheme website for more.
Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Paul Zimmerman and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is Azan Mawa, chairperson of the Hong Kong Committee of Children's Rights and Florence Serban, lecturer from the Baptist University's Department of Communication Studies. Also joining us now is Dr. Adrian Lowe, a chartered psychologist and president of the Hong Kong Association of Psychology. Good morning, Dr. Lowe. Dr. Lowe? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Lowe. Thanks for joining us on the program. Now, uh, before the news, uh, we, we talked about uh, possible impacts of uh, Sharon Ting on children. Um, in your view, what kind of psychological impact can Sharon Ting have on a child? Well, um, we have to look at it on both sides. There are also uh, obviously uh, benefits uh, of, uh, I mean, psychological benefits of Sharon Ting's online, uh, and as well as detrimental, uh, detrimental effects. So uh, benefits would include things like, you know, uh, building and maintaining relationships, you know, between their family, especially uh, distant relatives, you know, so that they feel connected, you know, and it'll help, you know, the kids, you know, to preserve their memories, you know, when they grow older, when they look back on their uh, uh, on their developmental milestones. So, for example, when they maybe next time when they get married, you know, they can always, you know, go online to look for their photographs that they have used before in their childhood days, right? That brings uh, wonderful memories. So this is the social support aspects where they can also celebrate you know, their achievements. But on the other hand, you know, we have to also think about, you know, uh, the privacy and security risks, you know, and, and maybe, you know, children when they are young, you know, they still don't have the ability to provide the informed consent of the sharing of their photos and therefore it compromises, you know, their autonomy and, uh, and their control over their digital presence. And worst of all, you know, it might even lead to things like online harassment, bullying, you know, and uh, we hear lots of uh, cases where kids, you know, they're vulnerable to cyberbullying, harassment, even identity theft. Mm. So I think it's really important to consider these factors, uh, having a fine line between these two uh, Spectrum. Yeah, so before uh, you came along, we had a short discussion before the half hour. Um, Gillick competence is, uh, is a term that came up in our previous discussion. So when, when is a child able to decide uh, at what age? I mean, we've got, a, we got the, the age that in front of you, when it comes to documents, it's, uh, I think in Hong Kong it's 18 years old uh, before kids can sign for their own, uh, for their own bank account and, and documents. Uh, but, uh, but with social media, that age is certainly uh, lower, isn't it? We can't wait till 18 years old. I mean, Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we have to, I mean, a practical standpoint is uh, parents have to uh, always check in with the kids. Uh, are they happy? Right? Are they happy at school? Are they happy in their social uh, circumstances? Are kids able to function appropriately in their daily routines? So, for example, if we, they set, have a start, start sensing that kids always, you know, uh, seeking for external validation, it's my photograph online looks okay, you know, to be asking other people. Uh, and they start to become a people pleaser. And, and psychologically, that would lead to a, uh, a decline in their self-esteem, you know. But, but so isn't that, that not part? I don't even like to interrupt you there because is that not part of how we dress ourselves? I mean, kids, kids want to dress in a certain way because then people see them in a certain way. You mean, is social media not a darker way? It's it's the same thing. It's about how you dress yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's so. so but, but that's is that crowd pleasing or is that just making yourself look good? Yeah, I, I think uh, we have to be really careful because. Uh, because uh, if uh, overexposure, as we say, you know, putting things too much of the kids' uh, stuff online, uh, it might, you know, lead to their, um, their, their, their too much of their concern over their 
their appearances, you know, um, and therefore setting uh, and they have to they have to set a, a boundary that is uh, that that is helpful, you know, to so that they're comfortable uh, whether the kids are able to uh, uh, express themselves in an appropriate manner, mm. you know. All right. And Dr. Zerban, I mean, just now, uh, Dr. Lowe, he, he was talking about overexposure. Well, when it comes to sharing, how do we know? I mean, what is uh, too much, basically? How much, I mean, how much is too much when it comes to sharing? When I walk down the streets uh, of Hong Kong, I know it's anecdotic, but um, you see a lot of parents who are pointing cameras to their children, right? And then you will see the children smiling. And once the camera is away from them, the kids will stop smiling. And that's, that's the kind of uh, behavior, right, that it's trained because you are constantly pointing the phone at uh, your kid. Knowing when too much is too much. Well, let's start from the parent's perspective. In my opinion, the conversation should always start, why do you take so many photos of the kids? Why do you share so much of the, so, so many posts, so many pictures, so many videos of your kids? What do you gain from it? At the end of the day, what? makes us function in a, in a certain uh, a way. Uh, my personal response drawing from sociology, not from psychology, uh, uh, is that we uh, are all uh, trying to um, uh, uh, surpass ourselves, right? We are in a competition with our relatives, with our uh, work colleagues, and we want to have the smartest kid, the one who plays the trombone uh, the nicest, and so on. So we are oversharing, we, we are posting in that regard. There's no technical uh, uh, point where we can draw a line like uh, two posts per day are too much and one post per day is, uh, is enough, right? Uh, uh, again, I go back to the idea that when you start to share, even if it's one photo a year, you should ask yourself, why do I do this? What do I gain from it? Are the, posi- the possible negative consequences surpassing what I'm gaining now in the moment by sharing one photo? Uh, if the answer is uh, 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 yes, then probably we should uh, stop. But, but, but we're talking about then when, when are we going to make that leave that decision to the kids? I mean, you can't. I mean, they can't make the decision up to a certain age because they're young kids and they're not even aware that their photographs are being shared. But where, where does that where is that line being drawn? As you mentioned just before the break, the killer competence. Can you explain that a little bit further? Yeah, think about it like uh, like this. What Doctor Zerbin was saying is is right. You, you think about what's the gravity of this? What's the purpose of this? Why why are we doing this? And uh, for a child to make a decision about that, they need to understand what does this decision mean. What is the benefit to me? And be able to weigh that up. And that kind of depends on the decision we're talking about. So, for example, um, posting your, your birth photograph or something like that, um, that, that's something obviously a child cannot decide for themselves, not at the time anyway. Um, I, I would say they ought to have the right later on to revoke, that, uh, to revoke the, the parental consent that was given. Mm-hmm. And that ought to happen really whenever they can articulate that decision that they don't want it. Um, uh, Likewise, if you say a a child uh, wants to share photographs of themselves naked because it will get lots of uh, eyeballs or likes or something like that. I mean, this is the sort of extreme example. Um, Then you would say, well, you, you don't understand the effect of what you are doing. Um, and even if you did understand the effect of what you're doing, um, it, it's, this is something that's so obviously against, against your best interest that there ought to be some intervening act by the adult or by the courts or by the authorities. 
So uh, unfortunately, there's no clear answer to your question. And it's, the onus is really on parents, on social media companies, on the government, on society as a whole to actively engage with children, allow them to participate in the decision making, and, but also actively protecting them from what might be serious abuse or exploitation. So but just revoking and uh, deleting or erasing, uh, that's, that's a practical thing where maybe this, the social media companies, they can provide the technology to make that an evolution. They have of a that switch. technology exactly already. I mean, they, um, you would be surprised. Um, Facebook, Google, Apple, all, the, all these companies like that, they can, uh, they can, they can match your, your 20-year-old photograph to your birth photograph. I'm not sure with me, but... Uh. Yeah, no, I've, I've, seen it, I've seen it done. Uh, it's amazing their ability to uh -huh. cobble together uh, a single person's life in a moment. I think Dr. Zerbin was saying, saying that earlier, and it's quite true. You should have a right to delete. That's yeah. basically that, but that's something that the government can work on in Hong Kong, isn't it? That's, are other governments around the world working on this? Uh, yeah, in fact, in um, it, it has become a reality in Europe. Um, the, the European Commission they put forward law, and this was quite a while ago, more than a decade ago. Um, so, so there is some uh, precedent for this kind of regulation. Uh, frankly, I do think it, it, it's something that the Privacy Commission should look at. Um, but uh, again, I, I think it ought to be in the broader context that our uh, child protection laws as a whole really strongly need to be reviewed. All right, let's go back to uh, Dr. Lowe. Dr. Lowe? Yes. So, so uh, I, yep, yeah. please go ahead. Yeah, so I think uh, uh, moving forward, I think we, we, I mean, for parents, they really have to, you know, trust their instincts, you know, in terms of uh, them, how they make their decisions, whether uh, certain photographs to be put online or not, uh, considering the child's well-being at the part and, uh, and his privacy. I think that is uh, so important. And also to consider uh, psychologically looking at the child's behavior. Is it, uh, is it uh, uh, exhibiting uh, appropriate behaviors? Are they like easily anxious, uh, uh, considering their emotions, the physiological aspects? I think these are signs that to show whether they are uh, on the right track. And how do we develop those social norms? I mean, what, what do we can, can we do? Yeah, RTHK, government, uh, you all are speaking today. I mean, what can you do to develop those social norms? I think uh, maybe we can you know, develop some kind of, you know, uh, a, a guidelines or, or something to support. I mean, so symptom trackers, something like that. I mean, I mean, not just, not just about, you know, putting photographs online, but looking at the child as a whole, right? Uh, it could be some other events, not just the putting of uh, photographs online. It could be some of the events, uh, tra traumatic events that cause the child to have uh, some traumatic uh, symptoms appearing. So I think these are signs that we can always have a lookout, you know, and, and, uh, and, and yeah, um, and considering the child's well, uh, overall well-being. What about the guidelines for, for parents who, who like to post on social media? I mean, so they can, uh, how do they know like, if they're posting too much? I mean, it, it, what kind of, how would you describe that kind of behavior? Dr. Lowe? Um, well, uh, I, I think just like uh, some of the other speakers has mentioned, uh, there is no fine line, like putting two posts, three posts. I mean, there's no right or wrong. Uh, and, and the quality of the post it, itself is very subjective. So I think at the end of the day, it's about whether the child is uh, comfortable having this post being placed online. And sometimes the child may not even be aware whether he or she is comfortable or not. So therefore, we have to uh, constantly look at uh, 
we have to constantly look at uh, the behavior of the child, uh, how they react. You know, uh, are they are they feeling anxious? Is their heartbeat uh, very fast? Are they like uh, sweaty palms? I mean, so these are some of the things. You know, uh, there are a lot of you know uh, symptom trackers available. We can we can uh, use you know to track the well-being of the child. So, Florin, uh, uh, your view on this one, I mean, how, how do we develop those norms? How we can, what can we do about that? Um, I mean, you speak on it probably at the university, um, in, in your classroom. Mm. I'm more traditional in this uh, sense. I think uh, uh, any good social norm doesn't start with uh, normative uh, acts. Uh, uh, they will start with uh, conversation, right? And I think having conversation, conversations such as the one we are uh, uh, having now is basically the mm. first step into uh, making people more aware of what is really happening out there. I don't think, the, you know, the regulation to me is only the safety net because what we do on our day-to-day basis is not based on whether that is legal or not, right? We have that common sense that, we, that normally prevails in our uh, uh, healthy societies that will uh, uh, tell us whether what we are doing is right or wrong. But that's also very subjective. I don't think we can uh, start to have a conversation about what is good or bad when it comes to sharing things until we cover the basics, until we cover, uh, you know, what people know about uh, uh, posting online, what happens with our posts. And those are very basic things. And today, after more than 15 years of being on social networks, we realize that not everyone realizes that. We don't even know who owns the copyright, who owns the rights on a, on a photo we post online. So I think I would start from that. I would start from the basic things, and then we can go further to, uh, uh, to more legislative acts. Well, that's probably a great conclusion. I mean, Janice has been struggling with this question for the last six months, he told me this morning. Uh, it's like, as we do the kind of like, where did this top come from today? And of course, with the paper out just now from the uh, privacy commissioner. Um, but it's something probably we have to come back to at Backchat and try to yes, uh, develop the, uh, the kind of the understanding of what's right and wrong when it comes to sharing. Yes, definitely. All right, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again to all of you for, for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Aswan Marwa, chairperson of the Hong Kong Committee of Children's Rights. And also many thanks to Florence Serban, lecturer from the Baptist University's Department of Communication Studies, and Dr. Adrian Lowe, a chartered psychologist and president of the Hong Kong Association of Psychology. It's now 9.46, and in a moment, we'll find out more about a new exhibition mm. on Sung Jing Ling the mother of modern China. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Christine Choi, the Secretary for Education. Congratulations on the 95th anniversary of RTHK and many wishes for its future success. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. So, like I mentioned a moment ago, there will be a new exhibition on Sung Ching Ling, the mother of modern China. And to tell us more about it, we're now joined on the line by Professor Herman Hu, a council member of the China Sung Ching Ling Foundation, one of the organizers of the exhibition. Good morning, Professor Hu. Uh, good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you for inviting. So, um, can you first tell us more about this exhibition? I- is there a special theme? Yes. Um uh, the exhibition uh, will be named uh, Sung Ching Ling, Serving Her Country and People 
Heart and Soul. Mm. So uh, it's about the uh, life of uh, Madam Sung Ching Ling, and it will be uh, staged in the Central Library uh, in um, Causeway Bay uh, during September the 15th to October the 14th. Uh, it will be uh, quite a comprehensive uh, exhibition of the life of uh, Madam Sung Ching Ling and her relationship with Hong Kong. As we all know, she spent uh, quite a long time in Hong Kong, especially during the uh, World War II, so uh, also helping the people in Hong Kong. Uh, maybe uh, some of uh, our audience uh, may uh, still remember all these, and the exhibition will stage a lot of her personal collections, uh, photos, uh, news clippings, uh, a lot of uh, valuable um, artifacts about her. So it is a uh, exhibition not to be missed. Did she pass away in Hong Kong? Uh, no, she passed away in Beijing. Uh -huh. uh, actually, uh, she was born in uh, uh, 19... Uh, sorry, 1893. So that makes uh, uh, the uh, 130th, uh, 130th birthday uh, this year. And uh, she passed away in Beijing on uh, May the 29th, uh, 1981. Mm -hmm. And her role in politics in China, it was, she was an important person, I understand. Oh, yeah. Uh, she was the... Uh, she was actually made the honorary president of the People's Republic of China. In retrospect, or um, uh, in early on, in the early years? Uh, no, actually, she was uh, given this position uh, only a few months uh, before her uh, passing away. I see. Right, and of course, I mean, like you mentioned, I mean. Uh, we know like Sun Yat-sen is, of course, uh, more well-known to, to people here. Oh, yeah. But, of mm -hmm. course, uh, his wife, Sun Ching-ling, she's, um, like what Paul just mentioned, has made a monumental contribution to Chinese history. In, in your view, what do you think is her greatest legacy? Uh, I think, uh, well, she is a uh, great person, especially a great uh, uh, woman by any standard. Actually, the famous uh, uh, French poet, uh, uh, Romain Roland, uh, actually call her, uh, although she is a um, beautiful flower on the outside, but inside she is a lion. Hmm. So uh, she uh, contributes uh, tremendously. I think uh, in China she developed the uh, uh, women's liberation, the policy for women and children uh, in the modern China, uh, helped them, and uh, outside China, <coughs> She is a uh, uh, actually and uh, not literally an ambassador, but uh, she uh, promotes a friendship between China and the rest of the world uh, in many many occasions. Mm. And she of was, course, a, she was uh, the wife of Sun Yat-sen. So, yeah. uh, what's her relationship with the, you know Sun Yat-sen had a, had a changing relationship over time uh, with uh -huh. uh, with uh, with the mainland? I mean, so how about her relationship in politically? Uh, actually, uh, she, uh, in the early days, uh, after she, uh, uh, the uh, people's, I mean, sorry, uh, the Communist Party took over China in 1949, mm -hmm. uh, she helped them uh, to uh, 
on the various aspects, and uh, actually she requested to become a member of the uh, uh, CCP. But um, uh, at that time, it was believed that uh, uh, it would be better for everybody if she stays outside the party. This is why um, she did not become a member of uh, CCP until the very last uh, final uh, moment of her life. And then they made her honorary president. Okay, so there, were, so there were suspicions around her because she was the, the wife of Sun Yat-sen? Uh... Uh, no, I think uh, uh, she is uh, very friendly with the uh, uh, Chinese uh, Communist Party. <laughs> and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Sun Yat-sen, uh, in his uh, belief, if people read his uh, you know, readings, mm -hmm. he is uh, more towards uh, socialism. Uh, which uh, quite coincide with the belief of the uh, communism uh, theory. Uh, this is why, um, although her sister, Song Meiling, married um, uh, uh, Jiang Jiesi, uh, uh, she is closer to the uh, Communist Party of uh, China and uh, worked a long time alongside with them. Uh, they believe that, you know, uh, with her position and her uh, stature uh, in the international community, maybe it's better not to be a member of the Communist Party. I see. This is why um, she was denied to become a uh, member of CCP in the early days. Right. Now, now uh, Professor Hu, I'm, uh, I'm more interested about uh, her impact on women in politics. Um, to to sure. what extent uh, did she help shape the role of women in Chinese politics? Uh, actually, uh, uh, during the war, she mobilized a lot of uh, women to uh, fight for China, especially uh, when she was in Hong Kong during the World War II, um, to uh, fight for the country and also uh, to um, support the uh, army. And then uh, afterwards, uh, she um, helped the country to... Uh, draft a, a quite a lot of uh, uh, legislation that uh, protects the rights of uh, uh, women in the country, the rights of children in the country. And uh, she also demonstrated by herself that uh, women can be very, very um, uh, diligent in uh, contributing to the development of the uh, country. How did she evade the Japanese in the Second World War in, in Hong Kong and develop her, uh, her initiatives? Right. Um, uh, during the war, she was in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. and uh, she did not leave Hong Kong until the very last moment uh, before the uh, Japanese came in. Actually, she left um, Hong Kong with the last flight out to Chongqing, uh, which was on the... Um, December the fifth, nineteen forty-one. Oh, okay. So she was she was in Chongqing when she was doing her kind of um, empowering the women to contribute there in their fight. Oh uh, yeah, uh, she was all over the country. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, she spent a long time in Shanghai. Uh, after, uh, you know, um, during the war, after she left Hong Kong, she went to Chongqing, and then uh, her footsteps uh, cover. Uh, a, a lot of areas in Siamin and China.
Right. And uh, Professor Hu, uh, let's go back to the uh, exhibition and that will kick off uh, in the uh, middle, middle of uh, next month. I mean, right. you're telling, about, telling us about uh, how there will be a lot of artifacts uh, showing um, things that uh, used to belong to uh, Sung, Sung Ching Ling. Um, have any of this uh, been shown in Hong Kong before? Uh, not that I know of. Uh, this will be the first time uh, uh, that uh, we will have a quite a complete collection of everything about Madame Song Ching Ling. Mm. Um, it was uh, uh, curated by the uh, former residents of uh, Madame Song Ching Ling in Beijing, uh, which has a, a complete uh, collection of. Uh, her belongings. Oh, I see. So it's a kind of traveling exhibition? Uh, right. I think uh, it will be uh, also be done in Macau so that uh, people from Hong Kong and Macau will know more about uh, uh, this uh, wonderful uh, lady. And especially, I think, um, uh, to a lot of memories will come back for the uh, elderly people. And, uh, you know, for youngsters, I think they ought to know more about um, this uh, great person. Are we going to have more exhibitions, uh, like uh, trying to revive the um, kind of like uh, the memories of people that have been historically important in, uh, on the mainland and in Hong Kong? Um, well, I don't know, but I certainly hope so. <laughs> uh, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, wonderful people um, you know, that uh, contributed to the country uh, over the last uh, couple of decades. But uh, uh, for Dr. Sun Yat-sen, he has a museum in Hong Kong already. Yeah, we got the Sun Yat-sen Trail. Uh, yeah, it's in Central. Mm -hmm. uh, so when, uh, you know, you have time, uh, please go there and take a look. Um, there are a number of uh, museums uh, for Dr. Sun Yat-sen uh, all over the country. And uh, I believe... Uh, at least a four or five, and one is right here in Hong Kong. I think uh, you know we, are, you know we ought to uh, you know capitalize on this uh, opportunity. Yeah, it's a lovely building there at uh, Kane Road. Um, uh, so um, that's how I was a little bit surprised you mentioned that the, uh, your exhibition will be in the Central Library and not in the Sun Yat-sen um, Museum. Well, actually, this represents the respect of the Hong Kong SAR government uh, to uh, Madam Song Ching Ling. Mm. I think um, uh, the Central Library is, uh, you know, uh, almost the, uh, you know, mecca of uh, exhibitions in Hong Kong. Right. Uh, so uh, it's a respect to um, uh, Madam Sung Ching Ling. Well, it's also easier to get to with the MTR. Uh, of course, uh, much better than going uh, up uh, mid-levels. Yeah. Right, and of course, uh, this exhibition uh, you're talking about it will start in the middle of next month, um, and there'll be a lot of uh, different artifacts uh, uh, shown. Can you tell us, uh, in your view, what's a must-see when we go to the exhibition? Just very oh, briefly. Yeah, just so many, and uh, uh, I have already looked at the list of uh, exhibits. Uh, every piece are so, you know, precious. Um, if you like. Uh, her dress, there will be a lot of chi uh, pao that she had worn uh, over the years, and uh, also uh, a lot of uh, history, uh, and also photos with uh, 
you know, uh, VIPs uh, all over the world. Right, all right. That's great to know. All right. We have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's Herman Hu, a council member of the China Sung Ching Ling Foundation. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and to our guest presenter, Paul Zimmerman and producer Raphael. I'll be back with Danny Gittings tomorrow with another episode of Back Chat.